So last week I began the message with an illustration from Star Wars, so you won't be surprised when I do the same thing again (laughs) this week. Uh, When I was a kid, I was a huge Star Wars fan, and one of the things that I asked for as soon as they came out were all the Star Wars action figures. And this is a newer one from the newer trilogy, but I had all the figures, all the stuff from the first ones. And you had to wait a while because it was actually more popular than they were expecting. And so it was a good probably six months or more before the toys started coming out. But uh, I noticed that they called them, you know, they weren't dolls, they were action figures, action figures. And, you know, that was a little bit of a marketing ploy, probably. But, uh, but the idea was, you know, a doll you just kind of play with, it just kind of sits there, but an action figure that that does something, you know, it's uh, you got the uh, action figure can shoot, he can fight, you're not just sitting there and, you know, feeding it like a doll or changing its diaper or whatever the case may be. This is an action figure. He's going to do something. And so uh, today I've made me think of that because I was looking at uh, the scripture and seeing what Jesus did and also what we as his followers are supposed to do as well. And we are supposed to be much more like an action figure than a passive doll. So I'm going to set this guy aside and we will look today at action. What is it that Jesus did and what are we as his followers supposed to be doing? What are the actions that we're supposed to be taking? And the bottom line is this, that setting things right begins in us and continues with us. Last week, as we started this series, we said that Jesus came to set things right. When he announced that the kingdom of God was coming, he was saying, God is about to set things right. And Jesus is the instrument of that setting things right. But it didn't end with him. He has invited us into the process as well. So setting things right begins in us and continues with us. And my challenge for you today is to be an action figure, to be involved, to be active, to be following Jesus in the things that he's doing as well. So let's look at it together. This week's passage is Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 39. And in this, the second half of the Gospel of Mark's chapter one, we're going to see some of the activity, the actions that Jesus takes. Now, there are multiple scenes here, and they're relatively short, but we'll look at a couple. Mark chapter one, beginning at verse 16, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. So he calls others. He invites others in. Next scene, verse 21. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. 
The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, helped her sit up, and then the fever left her and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew he was, he did not allow them to speak. Last scene. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, We must go to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would speak to us. I thank you, Lord, that you have invited us into the setting things right, beginning with us on the inside and then working through us to help set things right in our world. I pray that we would see clearly the pattern that you established and that you would empower and call and, and propel us into the world to accomplish your will. Speak to every person who's listening and watching. Give us just the word that we need to hear so that we might hear from you and follow you more closely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at it together. Bottom line again, setting things right begins in us and continues with us. Jesus came to set things right. Where does he begin? He begins in us and it continues with us. So you might remember last week, we looked at this summary of Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter one. The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. And we looked at this chart, this kind of historical theological view of the world. And I kind of teased at the end in at least one setting that there's more to it. So let's uh, look at what we have so far and then fill in the missing pieces. So again, the whole point was for people, for, for your, us to be able to hear 
what Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is near, the way that his original audience would have heard it and understood it. So this is kind of a history of the world in one simple chart. You have God intervening, and that's what those yellow lines with the dot at the bottom are. That's God reaching out of heaven, intervening in our world. It begins with creation, establishing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he places humanity in the garden, gets things started, and everything is just as it should be for about a couple of paragraphs, a couple of chapters, and that's it. And then we have the fall. And from that point on, people have blown it. God gave us free will. He gave us the opportunity to follow him. And we decided, no, we're going to do things our own way. We're going to follow our own way. And that began a downward spiral. And that's what you see here with that timeline. But God didn't give up on us. He continues to intervene, but we continue to blow it. He intervenes, we blow it. He intervenes, we blow it. So then there comes a time where God promises, I'm going to set everything right. I personally am going to come down and intervene and make things right. The prophets started talking about it. There were prophecies and indications of this early on, which incidentally we'll talk a little bit about next week. Uh, But he promises that there's going to be one final reintroduction of the kingdom of God. And he's going to set a new timeline, put an end to the old one, begin a new one where everything will be set right. And this is the way that people understood the history of the world and what was coming when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, they thought, okay, we're right at the end of this. Things are about to be set right. But the mystery, the thing that the missing piece that they didn't understand and couldn't have known until Jesus showed up on the scene was that the ages overlap. These two timelines actually overlap. There's a constant theme in the book of Mark about the mystery, which is something that wasn't known previously, but is now revealed. That's the way the gospel writers use that word. And the mystery is that these ages actually overlap. What do I mean by that? That means that actually God is going to pull this timeline back. He's going to bring the kingdom of God into the present, and he's going to act decisively to establish the kingdom of God, but there's an overlap. It's like there are these two tectonic plates, and there's this earthquake in the ages, and they overlap with one another. So the kingdom of God has got started, but the kingdom of this world is still going. And, but God has intervened decisively. And how did he do that? He did that in Jesus on the cross. Jesus' death, burial, resurrection is the establishment, the beginning of the kingdom of God, his first advent, and then promised a second advent where he will come again and make everything completely 100% right. So I want to zoom in on this next phase. And that is this overlap of the ages, because this explains what we're experiencing now. Jesus came to set things right and began that process, but we still see so much in our world that is not set right. 
And he has promised that there's going to be a time where he returns and sets everything completely 100% right. This is the story of our world, but it's also the story of every individual follower of Jesus. Isn't this what we experience? When a person says yes to Jesus, they're forgiven of their sins. They have new life. They're adopted into God's family. They are citizens in the kingdom of God. But we still live in this world and there's still brokenness and sin. And there's this duality that we experience where God is at work, but we're still struggling against sin. The good news is that the power of sin is on a downward spiral and the end of the story has already been decided. And we can have the confidence. It's kind of like if you were bitten by a snake and you got poisoned and they give you the antidote, you might not be well the instant that you get that antidote, but it is certain that you are going to be okay and going to be made well in the same way when you become a follower of Jesus, when you're born again, when you become a part of his family and a citizen in his kingdom, the end of the story has been decided. And the old you, the sin nature, is losing power and dying away. And the new you, the life of God within you, is growing in strength day after day. The story of the world becomes your story as well. So that's why I say that the setting things right begins in us, that it starts with God changing our hearts and writing, giving his spirit to us, to reside in us, to write his law and his ways in our hearts. But then it continues with us. Once he begins to set us right, he also gives us a vocation. He gives us a calling. He invites us to be a part of setting things right. And what we see here in that passage was Jesus starting out by calling his disciples, inviting others into the process. And what I want you to see in this, and this is related to that timeline, is that Jesus wants us more interested in missiology than eschatology. Now, those are big words. I'm going to give you the definition, but you're smart people, so I wanted to give you the the actual terms. Basically, you can put the what and the when. Missiology is all about the mission. What are we supposed to be doing? What actions are we supposed to be taking? Eschatology is important, but missiology is more important. Eschatology is the last days, the things that are going to happen at the end, that final return where God comes in the person of Jesus and sets things all right. That's eschatology. The eschaton is a Greek word for the end. So Jesus wants us more interested in missiology, what we're supposed to be doing, than eschatology when things are going to happen. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, the apostles were with Jesus. This is post-resurrection, but before Jesus ascends back into heaven. And they kept asking him. They're thinking, okay, kingdom of God is here. Jesus died, rose, now 
the next thing is he's going to establish his kingdom in all of its fullness. So they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Isn't it now? Aren't you going to take care of everything now? But look at what he replies. The father alone, talking about God, the father, of course, has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. Not for you to know. Now, we should recognize that that's going to happen. We should be looking forward to it. We should be anticipating it, but we just don't know when it's going to happen. And anybody that tells you that they do know is wrong. Only God knows. He is the one, and it's not for us to know. So the disciples are saying, when, 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 when? And Jesus turns around and says, what? Here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what are you going to do with that? And you will be my witnesses, telling people everywhere about me. So they want to know, when is the next step going to happen? When, what is that, when is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? And Jesus says, no, let's focus on the what. You're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell the story to everyone in Jerusalem throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice the scope. He, he, they're, they're thinking about, are you going to set up your kingdom in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, no, I'm giving you a mission that goes beyond your hometown, beyond this region, to the ends of the earth. He wants to focus us on what we should be doing. The when it's going to happen but we're focused on the what. So setting things right begins in us and it continues with us. He is giving us a mission. And so that's why I'm challenging you to be an action figure, to get in the game. So what is the game? What are the roles that we're going to be playing? Well, let's look at what Jesus did. Like Jesus, we should be teaching, healing, and praying. Teaching, healing, and praying. This is what I mean by that. A couple of months ago, I went through a process where it helps you to think through the mission. And part of that mission and process that I went through was thinking, well, what does it look like if people are on mission? Well, we're supposed to be following Jesus. So what did Jesus do? And almost immediately, it came to my mind that I see this pattern over and over in the Gospels. When you look at the story of Jesus, what is he doing? He's teaching. He's sharing God's truth with people. He's going around healing. He's meeting their needs. He's supernaturally healing them. And we also see him established, well established in the habit of praying. There are times where he gets off by himself, where he's just away from the crowds. We saw that in that passage right there. And he communes with his heavenly father. He hears from God. And we see that all throughout the scriptures. And that's the pattern that we see. So, uh, let's look at the example from this passage. Mark one twenty one. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. He goes into the synagogue, he begins to teach. Throughout his ministry, that's what he does. He goes into the synagogue, he teaches. He gathers people on the mountainside. He gives a sermon on the mount. He's always sharing God's word, God's truth with the people. And we likewise have 
God's truth. That's why we're a biblically based church. Everything that we do, we're taking God's truth, we're taking God's word, and we're sharing it. We're getting it out. And that's not just a thing for pastors or people who are professionals. We should be learning and sharing, learning and sharing the truth of God's word, living it out, sharing it with others. That's what we see in Jesus. He taught. And then Another summary statement from this passage I just read, Mark 1.34, Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. When, when I say that Jesus came to set things right, he was taking all of the brokenness in the world and he was reversing it. He was healing. Now, very few of us are going to have a supernatural gift like healing. But if you think about it in the broader perspective, that, that that is what we're supposed to be doing. When I was on sabbatical a couple of years ago, this will help to explain it, I ran across the church because I went around and visited a bunch of different churches. And their um, mission was, to, uh, uh, part of their ministry was described like this. It's going from taking people from lost to found to whole. Lost to found to whole. And that's really what healing is. It's making a person whole again. And in this church and in all churches, it should be like this. They were defining that broadly. It's fixing relationships. It's having a right relationship with money. It's understanding your purpose. It's knowing how to handle conflict. I want to broaden that definition than what you probably thought of when you first heard healing. But we take people, this is what Jesus is doing, and this is the mission that he's given us. People who are lost outside of the kingdom, foreigners to the to citizenship in the kingdom, outside of the family of God, and, and give them the message and tell them they can be brought in from lost to found. But when you're found, that's not the end of the process. God wants to take you from found to whole. He wants to set things right in you and then use you, leverage your gifts, skills, abilities, talents, resources to help others find wholeness as well. So we see Jesus teaching, we see him healing, and then lastly, we see him praying. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. This is a pattern that we see over and over in the scriptures where Jesus gets alone and communes with his heavenly father. He connects with God. I heard somebody describe the church experience with three words, content, community, and experience. Content is the teaching. It's the, it's the good news. It's the proclamation. It's the everything good that we teach. There's also community though. There's fellowship. There's interaction with one another. And we join in that together to accomplish that mission. And that could include the healing as well. And then, but lastly, there's that experience. You know, you can, at a school, at a club, you can get content, you can get the sense of community and even purpose in that. But the experience, what I'm talking about there is that, that intangible aspect of God intervening, experience with your heavenly father. And that's what's described when we're talking about praying, that Jesus gets in a space where he can commune with his heavenly father, hear from his heavenly father, connect with his heavenly father. 
This is a pattern that we see over and over again in the life of Jesus. His connecting with his heavenly father, getting alone to pray. And that's the experience side that we're talking about. And that's not something that's just for Jesus. That's something that we see the pattern extended to us as well. Look, for example, at Acts 2.42, a famous summary of the practice of the early church. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to, and then what do you think is going to be next? What's, what, what did they devote themselves to? What were they committed to? The apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. So look at this together. The apostles' teaching. This was the story of Jesus. This was what we find in the Gospels. This is what has been put together, assembled for us in the scriptures. The apostles' teaching we now find in the New Testament and to fellowship. Now, when I think of this, you might have a couple of different pictures, but in the churches that I grew up in, we almost always had a fellowship hall. Well, what did you do in the fellowship hall? You got together and you had potlucks and you hung out together. I don't think that, uh, you know, that's a little bit of it, but I don't think that's exactly the picture here. Let's think of it more in terms of the fellowship of the ring from uh, from the, that movie series, because that was more a group of people who got together on purpose on a mission. And yes, there's fellowship, there's hanging out, there's community, there's friendship within that, but it's all organized around a mission. And actually, you can even see that. It's hinted in what you see here, sharing in meals. One of the ways that the early church took care of those who were under-resourced, the poor in their community, was they would get together and they would share meals. That way, everybody had something to eat including the Lord's Supper. They would come together around the celebration of communion, of meeting these needs, and then they would de- disperse. They would go out and they would meet the needs in the community as well. It's that kind of fellowship, gathering, but also dispersing. And to prayer. And notice that prayer is that experience of let's get together, let's commune with our Heavenly Father corporately. It can happen individually as well. I remember running into a guy from another part of the world and he said, you know, we, we get together to pray on Sundays. Well, what did he mean? It wasn't a prayer mean. He was talking about church. He was talking about when we get together, we have an experience with our Heavenly Father. It is like prayer. And so that's the kind of thing that we are talking about. And I want to invite you into that fellowship. God is setting things right, and it begins in us. So I would encourage you to be a part of that fellowship. Here's what it means. It means that you commit your life to Jesus, to say yes to him. You're saying yes to his forgiveness that he purchased for you on the cross. Yes to his lordship his commissioning to be a part of his mission, to follow him, to do what he says, to take actions, to take steps, to follow in his footsteps. So if you're not a part of that fellowship of believers, if there's never been a time, I'm not asking if you've ever been to church. I'm not asking if you've been watching online. I'm asking, has there ever been a time where you have committed, turned your life over to Jesus, said yes to his 
his mission for you. Now is the time. Get the sins of your past taken care of. Get set on a new course for life. Let him write the rest of your story. Join the fellowship of those who are on this journey together with Jesus. And now one of the most amazing things. When Jesus was teaching his disciples and talking about his works, the things that he would do, he says, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. In other words, he's saying, you know, I've kind of set a pattern for you. When you see me teaching and healing and praying, and then you see the early church teaching and healing and praying, that's kind of the pattern. Those are the actions that we should take as followers of Jesus. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. But here's the most amazing part of this verse. It's the next phrase. And even greater works and even greater works. That almost seems impossible. I mean, doing more and greater things than Jesus did. And people have really struggled with this verse throughout Christian history. Because here you see Jesus who goes around teaching these amazing things, teaching with authority, having authority over sickness, disease, and evil spirits having this incredible communion with God. And yet he says, and actually, uh, interestingly enough, this is in the context of what would happen after he leaves and he sends his Holy Spirit, that you're going to do the same kinds of things I've been doing and even greater. What does that mean? Uh, It's not limited by time and place that God's Holy Spirit indwells all of his followers. They are dispersed throughout the world and And we're supposed to be doing those kinds of things, finding the lost, bringing them into the fold, and then taking people who are found and making them whole to commune individually and together with our Heavenly Father, to be on mission in fellowship with others, to be a part of God setting things right in actions and in words. And this is what he's promised as amazingly unbelievably difficult as it is to understand that he's going to use us broken, fallible people like you and me to do the same kinds of things that he did and to do even greater works. So yes, setting things right begins in us and it continues with us. So will you say yes to Jesus? Not just at the start but day by day, moment by moment. Will you be in action? Will you be an action figure? Someone who Jesus can count on to learn his truth and to share it with others, to be participants in the healing of the world and to draw close and to have intimate connection with your heavenly father so that you know his word and know his ways. Because he said, If you will do this, if you'll make yourself available, if you will follow me, you're going to be doing the same works that I have done and even greater works. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's so amazing to to think that you've said this, that you've promised that we would follow in your footsteps and you would work through us to accomplish even greater things. Lord, we want to be a people who are willing and open and available to you. 
do that work in us that needs to be done to set things right. And then we declare our willingness and our availability to be used by you to set things right in the world around us. Lord, I pray that you would show each person, beginning with me, each person listening and watching today, exactly what that looks like in our lives, that we will have clarity of what you're calling us to do and the opportunities that you're presenting to us. And then that you would give us the courage and faith to walk through those open doors, to leverage those opportunities for others' good and for your glory. We pray, Lord, that you would put us into action, that you would make us a fellowship that is engaged and involved in our world, that we might do the same kinds of things that you are doing, and that by to your glory, we would see even greater things in the future. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.